Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Mim. Welcome, as Lee said, my name's Ben. I'm the vicar here at St. Thomas's. And if you are new, it is wonderful to see you here this morning. If you want to know what makes St. Thomas's tick, our DNA, then we value three things. Scriptures, which we're going to submit ourselves to now as we hear them read. The work of the Holy Spirit, and we love celebrating the sacraments together, sharing communion and seeing people be baptised. And so we're going now to turn to the Scriptures. If you've got a Bible, then can you turn to John chapter 4, and I'm going to read from verse 5 for us today. And this is the well-known story of the woman at the well. John John chapter 4, starting at verse 5. John chapter 4. So, Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I will never get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. Jesus told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place that we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship neither the Father on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. The hour is coming. Remember that, the hour is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, Jesus' disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman came back, went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who has told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a massive welcome, as I said earlier, it's wonderful that you are here, whether you've been with us for a few years or whether you are just curious as to who Jesus is, or you just want to try church on this Try Church Sunday, it is fantastic that you are here. Today, we're looking at this amazing encounter between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. This woman who Jesus has never met before, had no idea who he was, and if she did, she would not have gone anywhere near him. Perhaps before I start going through these verses today, that's how you felt about church. Even a few days ago, you wouldn't have gone anywhere near church. Perhaps you wouldn't have gone anywhere near Jesus. Well, if that's the case, perhaps you've been dragged here by a friend, or perhaps you tried some of our pizza during the week and got an invite to try church, and you're giving it a go. If that's the case, that you wouldn't have gone anywhere near Jesus or church before, as we go through these verses today, know that you are in good company. So today we're going to look at three things. Firstly, Jesus' radical love. Secondly, Jesus' radical life. And thirdly, Jesus' radical news. Life, love, and news. Firstly, Jesus' radical love. There's some little details from this Bible passage that the author of the text gives us, um, John, that are really, really important because they communicate something to us about the love of Jesus. And when you read the verses, they look incidental, but they're actually really important. So firstly, John makes it clear that Jesus is Jewish, which we all know, but that this woman is a Samaritan. Now, Jesus was more than just being a Jewish man. He was a rabbi. He was a well-respected teacher. The woman that we meet in this Bible passage in John 4 is a Samaritan. And Samaritans believe totally different things to Jews. They were different ethnicities. They had different worldviews. And more than just being different, they absolutely hated one another. They would never ever be seen talking to one another in public. In fact, just a few years before Jesus' birth, the Samaritans committed an act of terrorism in Jerusalem, um, which was pretty significant, and even, even, an even greater rift develops between the two. They disagreed on politics, they disagreed on identity, they disagreed on religion. It would be even worse than a Newcastle United supporter and a Sunderland supporter be found talking to one another just before a big derby game at St. James's Park. The rift was huge. And yet here, Jesus, a Jewish man, is talking to a Samaritan in public. He's breaking down barriers. The second thing that we need to notice, and again it's obvious, is that Jesus is a man, and here he is talking to a woman. Now, this seems like a really obvious thing to say, but in Jesus' time, men would never be seen talking to women, to women publicly. In fact, it was frowned upon to even make eye contact with a woman that was not your wife, particularly if that woman was alone. 
And John makes it really clear, doesn't he, in these verses, that Jesus is alone. His disciples have gone off into the town. Jesus has nothing to draw water with from the well. He's made himself unavoidable to this woman. She's alone, and here he is talking to her in public. Again, Jesus is breaking down more cultural boundaries. Jesus not only talked to women alone, by the way, but he actually invited them into his band of disciples, which was incredibly radical in Jesus' day. Thirdly, John tells us in verse 6 that it is midday. Now, why is this significant? Well, it's significant that it's midday because midday in the Middle East is not the time when you go to the well to draw water. That time of the day is incredibly hot and you did not want to be lugging litres and litres of water from the well outside of the village back into the village multiple times a day in the middle of the day. And so you either went first thing in the morning at sunrise or last thing before the sun sets. No one went to draw water in the middle of the day. Ellie and I have been out to that part of the world. and In fact, we went on honeymoon, and even in March, it was 41 degrees around midday. If you can imagine lugging litres and litres of water around in that heat, you just would not want to do it. So why is this woman alone in the middle of the day going to a well? Well, the answer is because she's become a social outcast. Normally in a village, all of the women would travel together. They'd all, a social group would go. This woman is by herself. No one else wants to spend time with her. Either something's been done to her or she's done something that's meant that she's been expelled from normal social groups and she's considered an outcast. And yet, here is Jesus engaging her in conversation. Jesus continues to break down barriers. Now, why would Jesus include, uh, why would John, sorry, include all of these details about this story of Jesus meeting this woman? Well, the reason that John includes all of these details is that he wants you to know this morning, he wanted all of his readers to know when they read the gospel of John, that the good news of Jesus Christ is for absolutely everybody. The good news of Jesus is for me and it's for you. Regardless of who you are, as Lee said in that vision video, regardless of who you are, what you've done, what's been done to you, where in the world you're from, you can hear the good news about Jesus and you will hear that he loves you. Jesus' love and grace crosses all boundaries. It's for men and women. It's for young and it's for old. It's for rich and poor. It's for Jew and Samaritan. It's for every ethnicity, people of every race. It's for popular people and unpopular people, for academics and non-academics, for theologians and everybody else as well. It's even for the person that has been completely shunned by her community. The love of Jesus is for everyone. Now, if you're just trying out church this morning, this is really good news for you. In fact, it's good news for all of us because knowing that we're loved by Jesus is not dependent on us knowing certain things. It's not about how much of the Bible that we know. Being in relationship with God is not about how moral we are. If that were the case, then people who were 
more suited to following rules would be at a better advantage when it came to Christianity than those of us that don't like to follow rules. It's not about how clever you are. It's not, you know, if you've got a degree in theology that you'll somehow earn more of God's love. That is not the case. It's not about academic achievement. It's not about how wealthy you are. What Jesus offers is a gift. And it's free. And it's free for everyone. Now this woman is suddenly confronted with this and she can't believe it. In fact, when Jesus asks her for a drink, look at what she says in verse nine. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now the reality is what I want us to see this morning is that what Jesus did for this Samaritan woman, he does for every single one of us. Jesus knew that he would meet this woman at the well. He made himself unavoidable to her. And perhaps this morning he's making himself unavoidable to you. Perhaps it wasn't a well, perhaps it was a pizza oven. Perhaps it was an invite from a friend to come and try church this morning. Jesus makes himself unavoidable to us. Now, whatever it is that you're here, be open to the fact that Jesus is reaching out to you today. I first started to going, going to church regularly when I was at school. And the reason that it happened is a next, my next door neighbor just invited me to go to church with him. It was that invite that has led me to where I am today. A simple invite can change everything. And it can open up to us the possibility that we can begin to see that Jesus' love is for everyone. Secondly, Jesus' radical life. So the other thing that John wants us to see is that Jesus loves us, yes, but more than that, Jesus has power to give us life that can last forever. So Jesus says to this Samaritan woman that the life that he offers is living water. Now think about this metaphor that Jesus is using here. Water is vital to our life. You can't go without it. We need it for everything. We need it to stay alive. If we, don't, if we don't drink it, then we'll die. We need it to be clean. We need it to cook. We need it to wash. We need it to travel the world. Water is essential for everything. And Jesus is saying that the life that he offers is like living water that will never, ever, ever run out. And he says to her, if you drink this water, you will never be thirsty again. Now, how on earth can Jesus make such a claim that he somehow has access to some water that will make, if you drink it, you'll never thirst again? Well, only if he is infinite and eternal, in fact, only if he is the creator of everything can Jesus make an invitation like this. Jesus is claiming to somehow have access to some life that will go on and on and on and it will never run out. Now again, this is really good news. If true, this is really good news for all of us today. And the reason that it's good news is because we all live trying to save ourselves. We all live trying to dig wells for ourselves that, so that we can not be thirsty. 
We all try and get access to some sort of life that is going to keep us going and give us some kind of identity. And so the water that we're all drinking from will not last forever. And that's why sometimes life feels a little bit difficult and a little bit dry. Sometimes that's why life is a struggle because we're all going to sources of things that we think are going to give us life and in fact are not leading us to life at all. Now this woman in John 4, the Samaritan woman, says in verse 15, she says to Jesus, go and get me this water so that I'll never thirst again. And notice what Jesus says in the very next verse, verse 16. Jesus says to her, go and get your husband. Now, why on earth did Jesus ask her to go and get her husband? It's kind of rude, isn't it? Here he is just offering her eternal life. She said, I'll have it. And then Jesus says, go and get your husband. Doesn't it look like Jesus is changing the conversation here? It's also a little bit awkward, isn't it, as we read it? I don't have a husband, she says. And then Jesus says, you're right, you've had five. And by the way, the man you're living with now, you're not even married to. It's a little bit awkward. But as we travel through these verses, we see that Jesus actually isn't changing the subject at all. Let me show you why. Remember, Jesus has been talking about life, this living water that will last forever, that will satisfy forever. The reason that Jesus isn't changing the subject when he said to her, go and get your husband, is, that, is, is for this. This woman has been looking to quench her thirst. This woman has been looking for satisfaction in relationships. She's been looking for her thirst to be quenched in men. And this is the well of water that she has been drinking from. She's been through five husbands and she's still not satisfied. She's with another man, she's still not satisfied. Now before we get all judgmental about her, which we shouldn't, before we do, we all do this. We are all thirsty. We're all thirsty for life and for meaning and for satisfaction and for relationships. And so we try and satisfy our lives with, with things that really only Jesus can satisfy us with. Some of us chase after relationships. Some of us chase after money. Some of us chase after words of affirmation or social media followers. Some of us chase after trying to be physically the most beautiful that we can be and think that somehow that's going to satisfy us and quench our thirst. For some of us, it's acquiring more possessions. If we try and satisfy ourselves with these things, we will never have enough. If we get more money, we'll just be hungry and thirsty for more. And we'll never have enough. It'll just go on and on and on. The Samaritan's woman life proves it. There's a couple of things in life that if I start eating them, I can't stop. Um, one's a bag of Haribo. Once I have one or two, I literally have to finish the whole bag and it's really not good for me or anyone around me. The other is a tube of Pringles. Now, after eating a whole bag of Haribo or a whole tube of Pringles, I feel worse than I did at the start of the journey of starting to eat these things. They never actually satisfy. Everything else that isn't Jesus is a little bit like that. And the Samaritan woman, this Samaritan woman's life proves it. 
She's gone through five husbands and she's now with somebody else. Perhaps this is the reason that she has to come to draw water at the middle of the day. Perhaps everyone else is talking about her and gossiping about her and judging her for the way that she is living her life. She was trying to find identity and value and meaning in relationships and it was destroying her. It was eating her up. Now I want to put it to us this morning that we all do this. We all look for meaning and value and identity in something. And the things that we look for meaning and identity and value in are the things that we worship. And the things that we worship, unless they're Jesus Christ, will eventually consume us. David Foster Wallace was a top American writer. He was a best-selling author and novelist, a bit of a philosopher. And he was, an, he was a pretty committed atheist. And at a university graduation service, he said this to a group of students. Bear in mind, this is an atheist speaking. He said this. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much everything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they're where you'll tap your real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. You'll never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before your loved ones finally plant you. Worship power, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to numb your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Look, the insidious thing of things about these forms of worship is not that they are evil or sinful, it is that they're unconscious. They are default settings. Now remember, this guy was not religious. He was an atheist. But even he could see that everybody worships. That the human heart is wired to worship. The only choice we get is what or who to worship. Now to be human is to have a heart. We don't get a choice as to whether we will love or not. We'll all love some things and some people. It's what we worship and love as ultimate that will define us. James K.A. Smith said this, you can't not bet your life on something. You can't not be headed somewhere. We live leaning forward, bent on arriving at the place that we long for. If you long for money, you'll end up being trapped by it. If you long for approval, you'll end up never having enough. We all bet our lives on something. St. Augustine, a famous church theologian, said this about God. You've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. This is St. Augustine talking about God. You made us for yourself, 
and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Perhaps you're here today and you have a restless heart. Augustine used to use some analogies about things being things lying in their natural state. He talked about, you know, if you pour oil on water, oil will always float to the top. If you put a heavy stone in water, it will always sink to the bottom. If Jesus isn't first in our life, then things aren't naturally ordered and we're going to be restless and thirsty and always wanting more of whatever it is that we worship. We all worship something. And this atheist, that quote that I just read out, David Foster Wallace, has worked out what Jesus is saying in this passage, that whatever we worship will eventually consume us. But Jesus' claim is that if we worship him, if we recognize his radical love for us, if we recognize the radical life that he offers us, we won't be consumed, but we'll be satisfied. And I want to say this, this morning that at stake here is your very identity. I think Jesus would go that far as well. Thirdly, Jesus' radical news. Notice that what Jesus offers here is not earned. This woman doesn't have to do anything at all to earn this gift of living water that Jesus offers her. It's a gift. It's completely free. A completely free gift. Now, imagine just for a moment being this woman. Imagine being at this well in the heat of the day with nobody else around because you're a social outcast. And here's this man who's claiming to be the Messiah, who's claiming to be God, speaking to you and offering you this free gift. Now, just imagine what's going through her mind at this point. This guy claims to be the Messiah, is claiming to be Christ, is claiming to be God himself. He knows everything about me. He knows that I've been married five times. He knows that the person I'm living with now I'm not married to. He knows all of my mess. He knows all of my sin. He knows all of my failure. And yet he's still saying to me that I can have his living water. Do you think at that moment the penny was dropping? That Jesus is love, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is good, it lasts forever, and it's free. You can have my living water too. Now notice that Jesus did not give this woman advice. He didn't give her a to-do list. Being a Christian is not about having a checklist of having loads of things to do so that you can earn your place in heaven. Every other religious worldview says that that's the way it works. Only in Christianity is being in relationship with God completely free and a complete act of grace. Religion says do. In fact, I'd say that 21st society in Britain, 21st century society in Britain says do, do, do. There's so much pressure on us to conform to certain social norms in order to earn and prove ourselves an identity. Religion says do. We live in the most religious age that there's possibly ever been. It presents itself as secularism, but it's deep, deep religion. We've got to do certain things and present ourselves in certain ways. Religion says do. Jesus says done. 
He's done everything that, he, that is needed for you to be in relationship with God. It's a free gift. Now, perhaps you're here in church today and you've only been coming a couple of weeks or it's your first time today and you think, well, Ben, if only you knew what I'd done. If only you knew the things that had been done to me. If only you could see what I think about myself. You wouldn't be inviting me into church. You wouldn't be telling me about Jesus. Well, like this woman, God knows everything about you. God knows every single thing. He knows what wells you're digging. He knows where you're going to first, uh, to quench your thirst. He knows everything that's happened to you and everything that you've done to everybody else. And here's the thing, he loves you anyway. Well, this is all too much for this Samaritan woman. It becomes a little bit overwhelming. And so in verse 17, she actually tries to change the subject. And she tries to get into a theological debate about who's right, the Jews or the Samaritans, and where are we going to worship, and all of that kind of thing. And Jesus says in verse 23, the hour is coming when true worshippers will worship in spirit and in truth. Now, I just want us to notice one thing, and I'll end with this. When Jesus says that the hour is coming, every single time the hour is referenced in John's gospel, it's talking about Jesus's death. Every single time. The hour is coming. Jesus is talking about his death. And when Jesus hung on the cross in John's gospel, the thing that he cried out in front of everybody the words that he said as he was dying was, I thirst. Now, do you see the implications of this? Jesus went thirsty so that this woman didn't have to. Jesus went thirsty on the cross so that I didn't have to go thirsty anymore, so that you didn't have to go thirsty anymore. Jesus on the cross experienced unquenchable thirst for me and for you. He was cut off from the source of living water for the first time in eternity. And he cried out on the cross, I thirst, so that we could be eternally satisfied forever. So that when we follow Jesus, we can say in the kingdom of God, in the church, in following Jesus, I can be totally satisfied. Jesus died on the cross for everything that we did wrong, for everything that was wrong in the world, so that we could be free. He first so that we don't have to. And when we recognise this, we'll see all of these other things that we're chasing after for identity and to quench our thirst will just become what they are. Money will just become money Possessions will just become possessions. We won't have to thirst after them anymore because we'll be totally satisfied in Jesus. Now this woman suddenly at this moment realises who Jesus is. Jesus tells her at the end, doesn't he? I am the Messiah. And notice in verse 28, verse 28 John tells us that she leaves her water jar behind and returns to the Now remember, she's come to the well to get water and she leaves her jar behind. Why? Well, because she's realised that the water that she needed actually 
came from Jesus and not this well that she had come to. She didn't need that water anymore because she had met Jesus. And so she returns to the village and says, come and see. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? And that's the question that I want to leave us with today. If this woman was stood next to me today, she'd be saying the same thing to you right now. Come and see. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come and see a man who knows everything about you and yet loves you anyway. Loved you so much that he would die on a cross for you so that you could be free and satisfied. Come and see. Can I invite us to stand where we are as the band come back up and um, Lee and Mim join me at the front. We're going to respond to this word now.